Please be seated. Before we look at this morning's text, uh, I just wanted to welcome uh, Frank and Emma Blevins. If you would stand to be recognized, their wedding was Friday. Pastor Doug officiated. And it's a joy to have you worshiping with us. Thank you. Please turn in your Bibles to Proverbs chapter 1. Proverbs chapter 1. I don't get to preach very often in the morning, but when I, when I do, I started uh, just two, two times ago, back, it was probably late, late 2022, uh, in the book of Proverbs. So when I get to preach in the morning, I'll just continue through, through this book. Like all of the Word of God, Jesus warned us not to live for bread alone or to live for the food that perishes, but to draw life and strength from every word that proceeds from the mouth of God, every word from Genesis to Revelation. So in reading in Proverbs chapter 1, starting at verse 20 through the end of the chapter, Wisdom cries aloud in the street. In the markets, she raises her voice. At the head of the noisy streets, she cries out. At the entrance of the city gates, she speaks. How long, O simple ones, will you love being simple? How long will scoffers delight in their scoffing and fools hate knowledge? If you turn at my reproof, behold... I will pour out my spirit to you. I will make my words known to you. Because I have called and you refuse to listen, have stretched out my hand and no one has heeded, because you have ignored all my counsel and would have none of my reproof, I will laugh at your calamity. I will mock when terror strikes you, when terror strikes you like a storm, And your calamity comes like a whirlwind when distress and anguish come upon you. Then they will call upon me, but I will not answer. They will seek me diligently, but will not find me because they hated knowledge and did not choose the fear of the Lord, would have none of my counsel, despised all my reproof, Therefore, they shall eat the fruit of their way and have their fill of their own devices. For the simple are killed by their turning away, and the complacency of fools destroys them. But whoever listens to me will dwell secure and will be at ease without dread of disaster. This is the word of the Lord. Would you join me in prayer? Our God and Father, Lord, we thank you that your word speaks authoritatively, your word speaks clearly, and your word points us to the truth that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, and yet by faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, 
We can live lives that are pleasing to you. We could find the care, the hope, and the love that we look in so many other places for. And yet, Lord, you are offering it right here through your word. Father, we pray, make us attentive to your word. Help us to pay attention, Lord. Open our hearts that we would receive this word. Open our eyes that we would see wondrous things in your law. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, on your phone, no matter what kind of phone you you carry around with you, you have something called contacts. You have something that stores information about people that you know, people that are near and dear to you. You probably have, in case of emergency, contact or two that are in there, people that you, if something's wrong, you absolutely want to make sure this person gets called. You have family members, you have friends, you have professional contacts, all sorts of people, doctors, lawyers, Indian chiefs, whoever you might need to speak to at any given time, they're in your contacts. And it's a wonderful tool, and it's a wonderful device. But then you also get these phone calls, phone calls from people that are not in your contacts. And sometimes just the phone number will show up on the screen, and other times you'll have something that says potential spam show up on your screen. And those calls can be so distracting and so even annoying when you know that they're intentionally calling and calling just to try to get you to answer, to sell you something, or get you hooked on something that you don't need, right? So what can you do? I found this this wonderful feature where you can, if, if your caller is not in your contacts list, then the phone call just goes silent. The phone processes it, it does all the work, and if the person stays on the line long enough to leave a message, it'll leave a message. But it doesn't distract you. It doesn't vibrate, it doesn't ring, it doesn't do anything. It just takes care of it. It's like, wow, what a great tool. Here's the thing, though. What if a phone call is coming in that's really, really important. Well, see, I'm depending on that person to leave a message. If I call someone and I don't get them, I'm going to leave a message if it's important. If I don't need you to call back, I'm not leaving you a message because you probably won't listen to it anyway. But what if someone calls and leaves a message and it's important and you never get the message? You never listen to that voicemail. You've missed out. Have you considered that the Lord God is speaking? He's speaking through his word. He speaks, obviously, through the creation. All the heavens are declaring of his glory, but he speaks specifically, pointedly. He speaks through his word of his son, Jesus Christ. And he is speaking, and he demands your attention. Let's look at this passage and learn how to answer wisdom's call so that wisdom's call doesn't go to voicemail and you miss that important call. We're going to look at this passage in, in two chunks. Uh, the Verses 20 through 23, we'll see the invitation of wisdom. Wisdom invites a response. 
But then verses 24 through 31, we'll see the threats of wisdom, the promise of judgment for those who do not heed God's call. Let's look first in verse 20. And we see a novel view of wisdom. So we've heard the word wisdom in the book of Proverbs. Now we see it with a slightly different twist. Because as we read in verse 20, wisdom cries aloud in the streets, in the markets, she raises her voice. Now in a time when pronouns are overly emphasized, tension, especially in the word of God, why is wisdom spoken of as female? She raises her voice. She cries out. She speaks. Well, remember, we're reading in poetic literature. In fact, in your English Bibles from Job, Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, Song of Solomon, those five books are the the wisdom books. They're poetic books. There's poetry in other places of Scripture. There's wisdom in other places. But this is a genre. It's a type of literature. And in poetry, you expect not only an interaction with the rational mind, but you expect an interaction with the heart, with the imagination. And so remember, Proverbs is written from a father to a son. Proverbs is written from a mother to a daughter. It's speaking from the older to the younger, saying this is wisdom. This is how to take knowledge and how to apply it to practical life, how to live a godly life, how to live a life pleasing to the Lord. And so now it shifts in Proverbs, and we see wisdom personified. We see her personified as a woman. And that's important because this woman is seeking to get. And later in Proverbs chapter 9, you'll see competition. You'll see another woman, a woman who's called folly. And both women are trying to get the attention of the son. Both, both women are trying to get your attention. To which one are you responding? You need to know what they're saying. You need to know how they speak. Wisdom is doing several things in verses 20 and 21. Wisdom cries aloud in the street, in the markets. She raises her voice. She's trying to get the attention of the people. At the head of the noisy streets, she cries out at the entrance of the city gates, the place of authority in the community. She speaks. So she's talking, she's speaking, she's shouting. And if you're counting, that's four times. Four times wisdom has spoken. She's putting in a lot of effort to get this message heard. Now, what does it mean when you hear a parent say this to their child? Don't make me count to three. One, two, right? Usually... That's a case where the child has probably already won the battle and the parents are just trying to delay the inevitable and trying to save face somehow. somehow. It normally doesn't work out very well. If the child hasn't responded at the first call, the third or fourth call may not make a whole lot of difference. And yet wisdom is calling four times, four different ways, trying to get the attention trying to get the attention of three different kinds of people. And who do we see in the scriptures? These three people. We also see 
scoffers, and we see fools. We see the simple scoffers and fools, three kinds of people. Now, we looked at the simple people earlier. Simple in and of itself is not a pejorative term. It's not a term of judgment. It could simply be somebody who is a youth, who hasn't matured, who's not grown, who hasn't learned these things. Someone who's simple is simply lacking experience. They're lacking maturity. And who of us is not lacking experience and maturity in some area of life? So in, in some regard, all of us are simple in some ways, and we need to mature. We need to grow. Chapter 1, verse 4, Proverbs will give discretion, give prudence to the simple. It is a benefit for the simple to listen to the Proverbs. Think of simple, another way to look at it is think of someone who's teachable, who wants to learn, right? I want to be simple in some areas so that I can grow and I can become wise and I could know these things. But the problem, what's the problem here? In verse 22, the problem is with a simple person that loves being simple. They are attached to being simple. They they prize that. They, they value that level of immaturity. That is the problem. That is who wisdom is yelling at, trying to get the attention of. You say, well, I, I don't really love being simple. I just don't know where to look for help. Well, look around. If you're a member of New Life in Christ Church, just as we celebrated with the baptism of Esther Elizabeth, we take vows to care for one another. We take vows to be invested in the lives of each other. And so there is somebody, there are many people that are available. And pursue them. Ask them. Ask another person. Ask for help finding a person to help you. It, there's no reason why you just have to continue in your simpleness. There are opportunities that abound around us. So we take this warning as God speaking directly, where is an area of your life where you need to become more mature, you need to grow? There is an area. Now, scoffers and fools, that's a different situation. The scoffer delights in his scoffing. He takes pleasure in it. It is sport to him. He's made it a hobby. He increases in the way he can do scoffing. Uh, and fools hate knowledge. And we saw that in Proverbs 1, verse 7. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. They despise it. Each one of us will find ourselves in each of those categories at any given time on any given day. If you're sitting here thinking, oh, glad I'm not the scoffer, glad I'm not the fool, that never happens to me, then I submit to you, you're not listening to what the Word of God has to say. If you're not being corrected by the Word of God in some area of your life, if it's just a lot of good information flowing in, there's something wrong. Because God is the creator. He's the judge. He speaks with authority. We are simply his creature. We are his created being. We respond. And so every area of our life will benefit we live in a culture where scoffing 
has become a profession. I mean, it's become just a way of living, and people make great money. They write books, they have podcasts. Now, I'm not saying there's not a place for serious critique, but when it moves from critique to enjoyment and a source of pleasure, that's what the scoffer is. That's who wisdom is speaking to. That's the person that needs to turn to the Lord. What can we avoid? What can we do to avoid the call of wisdom going to voicemail? Well, verse 23 gives us the solution. Verse 23, if you turn at my reproof, behold, I will pour out my spirit to you. I will make my words known to you. If you turn, I will pour. Who wants God's spirit poured out upon them? Who's praying for revival? Who wants to see God move in a mighty way? Well, this is the recipe to see that. Turn at the reproof of the Lord. Turn at his reproof. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16. It's a familiar passage. All Scripture is breathed out by God. It is inspired by God. It is profitable for instruction, for reproof. Reproof follows instruction. It is expected that if you receive instruction from the Lord, there is something, some part of your character, some part of your thoughts, your affections, your will, your behavior, some part that needs to be corrected, needs to be turned onto the path of righteousness. Teaching instructs you on that path. What does it look like? Reproof turns you from straying off of the path. It's a daily, day-by-day, moment-by-moment, breathing-in, breathing-out type of relationship with the Lord. You want to hear His Word. You want to respond. Have the blessing of the Spirit without turning to Christ. You can't have the blessing of the Spirit without turning to the Lord Jesus Christ because it is Christ's Spirit that's poured out. Jesus said, People came from the ends of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon. But he said, something greater than Solomon is in your midst. And he's referring to himself. He is wisdom. He is the wisdom of God who came and took on flesh and dwelt among us. Reproof and instruction go hand in hand. We see it in verse 23, but we also see it in verses 32 and 33. For the simple are killed by their turning away, and the complacency of fools destroys them. But whoever listens to me and will be at ease without dread of disaster. How do you know? How do you know if you love Jesus? Is it just something you feel in your heart? And so you conclude, I must love him because I feel it. Well, Jesus himself gave us a test. In John 14, verse 24, he said, Whoever does not love me does not keep my words. And the word that you hear is not mine, but the Father's who sent me. So conversely, those who keep his words love him. That is the demonstration of love. It doesn't earn me his affection. It demonstrates that 
His affection has been set upon me, and I love him. Because how do you know Jesus loves you? Well, Revelation chapter 3, verse 19 says that reproof is the proof of love. Reproof is the proof of love. Jesus said, those whom I love, I reprove them and I discipline them. So be zealous and repent and turn. That's the proof of love. Growth is expected. Every father, every mother wants to see their child grow. Grow in the wisdom and the knowledge and the performance of, of doing right. Much more, your heavenly father wants to see your growth. It doesn't mean it happens all at the same time. It doesn't mean it happens immediately. It's a lifelong process. But reproof and instruction go hand in hand. And there are dangers of not turning, of missing wisdom's call, of letting wisdom's call go to voicemail. There's dangers. And verse 24 through 31 show us those dangers. And you see the conditional clauses. Verse 24, because I have called and you refuse to listen. Verse 25, because you have ignored all my counsel. Verse 29, because they hated knowledge. What's happening? A case is being built. It's almost as if you were in a courtroom and the Lord has called heaven and earth. He's called his prophets to testify. And how have you responded to his call? How have you heeded his call? Now, why would a good God threaten judgment? Doesn't that seem like a problem? Why would a good God threaten such judgment? Well, the, the metaphor, the comparison is right before us. If you've ever gone to see a doctor and the doctor has told you, we've got the test results and I've got bad news. You've got cancer. You've got months to live. What do you do? Do you just walk out and say, I need another doctor? Well, you might. It's not a bad thing to get a second opinion. However, you best pay attention to that threat of judgment, that threat of danger. You, if this is a credible source of information, then you best respond and take it seriously because of the danger that could come by ignoring wisdom's call. God is stretching out his hand. Verse 24 ends with the, the phrase, no one has heeded. Some translations will say no one has regarded, no one has paid attention. Nobody's responding. And the prophet Samuel told King Saul this. He said, behold, to obey is better than sacrifice, better than all of the sacrifices of Israel, to, than the fat of rams. It's not going to be enough. Your own sacrifices, your own intentions, your own sweat, and tears and blood are not going to make a difference unless you respond in obedience to the gospel. You see, in the Bible, to listen and to obey go hand in hand, right? We don't just listen to increase in knowledge. We listen to respond in obedience. And to respond in obedience to the gospel is to admit, I am a sinner. 
I have fallen short of the glory of God. And not just, it's not just a one-time thing, but every day I come to the Lord and I seek to find the blessing of knowing that I am poor in spirit. I seek to find the blessing of mourning over my own sin. I seek to find the blessing of being humbled before the Lord so that I could hunger and thirst for His righteousness, not my own. Because the failure to listen to wisdom's call is to put yourself and others in jeopardy. Jesus tells us that when anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what has been sown in the heart. This is what was sown along the path. So that's a call that went to voicemail. That's a call that didn't get answered. That's a call that's not going to be responded to. But as far as what was sown on the good soil, this is the one who hears the word and understands it. He indeed bears fruit and yields, in one case, a hundredfold, in another 60, in another 30. This is why the Proverbs are shouting, get understanding, get wisdom. You need a heart to receive that wisdom so that you can respond. You can respond in obedience. Because otherwise, judgment is decisive. It's decisive. And it almost sounds harsh. As you read in verse 26, I will laugh at your calamity. I will mock when terror strikes you. When terror strikes you like a storm and your calamity comes like a whirlwind. When distress and anguish come upon you. And then Jesus himself used these words to the Pharisees. Then they will call upon me, but I will not answer. They will seek me diligently, but will not find me. That's chilling. But, but see the character of God in the context of the whole of Scripture, of all of Scripture. We know God is merciful. He does not want to punish us. Ezekiel himself said I have, that God says, I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked. Jonah recognized, after so many trials, he recognized that you, O Lord, are a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love, relenting from the disaster. And Peter himself said that the Lord is not wishing for any to perish, but that all should reach repentance. So God is merciful, but God is also just. He is also just, and he must punish sin. We know in Genesis chapter 18, the confession of faith almost, that will not the judge of the earth do right? When everything looks like it might be wrong, we can say with assurance, will not the judge of the earth do right? He will judge rightly. The evidence that's accumulated will bear out whether someone is innocent or guilty. Paul himself said to the Roman church that God will render to each one according to his works, to, the, to those who by patience and well-doing seek for glory and honor and immortality, he will give them eternal life. But for those who are self-seeking and do not obey the truth, who let wisdom's call go to voicemail, who ignore it, who continue to turn away, who love being simple, 
To those, there will be wrath and fury. For God shows no partiality. And we know that God's justice and mercy are perfect. His truth and mercy came together in the Lord Jesus Christ. John 1.14 says, The Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen His glory, the glory of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and full of truth. We see perfectly God's mercy and justice in the Lord Jesus Christ. And we see His justice in the way that Jesus took the chastisement, took the correction, took the punishment that should have been upon each one that has trusted Christ. See, Isaiah chapter 55 says the chastisement for our peace fell upon Christ. That correction, that rebuke to the one who knew no sin, but that chastisement fell upon him so that by his stripes we could be healed. We could find forgiveness and we could find hope. We could also find a living, vibrant relationship with the living God right now. Eternity starts now for the believer. We have the hope of eternity right now. There are many voices competing for your attention. As we saw in Proverbs, there's voices in the streets, voices in the marketplace, voices all around competing for your attention, voices in places of authority. Sometimes the the loudest voices are the ones I hear in my own head. And you have to compete with those voices. You must take the Word of God and speak to yourself the Word of God. Apply the Word of God to yourself, to appropriate it, to make it yours. This is God's Word to you. This is the Father speaking to the Son. The Son should delight in the words of the Father and treasure them. The daughter should delight in those words and treasure them. God has spoken through the prophets, the writer of Hebrews tells us, at many times and in many places. But now in these last days, God has spoken to us in his Son, Jesus Christ. He is Lord. He speaks authoritatively over your whole life, the thoughts in your head as well as your own behavior and the things you do. He speaks authoritatively to all of it, even your own desires. The Scriptures speak authoritatively. In any way, if I'm not in conformance with the Word of God, then I must turn to Him in order to live a life pleasing. That turning could take days or weeks or months. That turning might require other brothers and sisters walking alongside you and supporting you and encouraging you and strengthening you. But you must turn to the Lord. You see, we're going we're gonna to turn one way or the other. Verse 32 says, The simple are killed by their turning away. But see, those who will receive the promised Holy Spirit, they turn to God's reproof. So you're going to turn one way or the other. Turn to the Lord. He's inviting you to turn to Him now. In fact, if you're you're not offended or disappointed or challenged by the Word of God, 
on a daily basis, then I would wonder if you're really paying attention. Is wisdom's call going to voicemail? Are you just sort of going through the motions? Or are you listening? Are you interacting? Are you responding? Every relationship needs several ingredients. It needs time. It needs intentionality. It needs honesty and transparency. It needs a plan, and that plan needs to be followed. Just having a time where you have a devotion is not the same as having a relationship. So it must go deeper. It, you must let the Word of God go deeper in your own life so that you're convinced of the truth of God's Word. You can respond in obedience, and you could find that God has loved you in Jesus Christ, and He has provided the greatest, to the greatest extent, for your help and for your hope. Would you pray with me? Our God and Father, Lord, we thank you that you are the God who has loved the world, that you sent your only begotten Son, Jesus Christ. Father, we thank you that in the Lord Jesus Christ, we find that the name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous run into it and are safe. And it is not, Lord, our own righteousness. Because, Father, each one of us, if we weighed ourselves before you by the word of your testimony, we would all be found weighed and wanting. And yet in Jesus Christ, we have forgiveness of sins. We have perfect righteousness. We have hope.